0: Hello and welcome to the REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borg from Quito, and as summer reaches its peak, we're taking a look today at how the lodging sector has been faring and the outlook for the months ahead. Sharing his insights today is Jim Sullivan, Managing Director and REIT Analyst at BTIG. Jim, nice to have you back on the REIT Report.
1: That's good to be back.
0: So what is the raw data as of mid-year telling you about the willingness of Americans to travel, and how have those trends been moving in the past few months?
1: Well, the trends that have been in place during this recovery have continued right through this, this past weekend. We have seen uh, a pretty consistent, um, consistently high level of comfort in traveling, particularly for the leisure traveler. The pace of air travel counts, which is recorded and published by uh, TSA every morning indicates that um travel volume is running at about 80% of the 2019 level and of course back at the onset of covid the travel declined by over 90% over like a 30 day period um from the uh, the beginning of march to like the middle of april but since that time it's been increasing um but the recovery and the travel is clearly focused in the leisure sector as opposed to business travel. And the business travel recovery is going to be later. But for the average American consumer who is a, a leisure traveler, the demand is, it seems to be fully back. And the companies we cover that, that own hotels. In primarily leisure markets are in fact doing quite well. Their RevPAR and their room rates are actually higher than they were in 2019. So the leisure recovery is quite strong.
0: And how much of a disruptor has the delta variant been to the outlook for the lodging sector?
1: Well, it certainly had a negative impact on investor sentiment. If we think about this as kind of the second derivative, the fear is that the the positive recovery that we've been seeing in air travel generally, would stall or might even go into reverse as a result of the Delta variant. And in particular, when you think about certain markets, we talked about leisure. Florida is, a, you know, probably the biggest leisure market in the continental US. And it's, it's been a very, very strong market for several months now. Florida, of course, is one of the states with the highest level um, of infection. And that's clearly, I would say, of concern to someone who might be traveling with their family, whether it's to go to, you know, Disney World or whether it's to go to a resort on the East Coast or the West Coast. We, we are seeing that negative sentiment or the worry factor increase. However, looking at the TSA data, So far in the month of august it has held up relatively well historically we expect and i say historically looking back for example in 2019 the pre-covid year uh, as we moved from july to august there was about a five and a half percent decline in air travel as we moved into august that's past the, the peak leisure season however this year so far based on the data we've seen through last weekend I'll call it halfway through the month, we have not seen any uh, material decline. So traffic volume is holding up pretty well in the face of the Delta variant concerns. Now, the back end of the month may be different. We'll see. To some extent, people book travel, of course, a couple of weeks ahead or a month ahead. So we'll be watching the data closely day by day to see if those travel numbers decline from here. But so far, they've held up quite well.
0: And you've touched on the trends in the different travel segments, leisure, business, and group. Are you seeing any regional variations?
1: Well, certainly we've seen, um, I would say, the strength of the recovery, as we indicated in talking about Florida. Has been concentrated in the leisure markets. And if we think about that over the past year, you know, that kind of means the Sunbelt market. So it's not just in, you know, the Florida market, which is, uh, you know, a very large market or in a market like Maui, which is a, a major destination for domestic tourism. But we've even seen it in markets like Cape Cod, I mean, in the Northeast generally where whether it's in the Hamptons or Cape Cod or even the main coast, there has been um, very high levels of demand for summer rentals, You know, whether that's in renting a house or whether that's Airbnb data or whether that's in hotels or resorts in those markets. So all of these markets are benefiting from what I'll call has been pent up demand for the American consumer to go You know, with their family or, you know, for couples to get away and they have a little more flexibility to do that given that the new office work model or work from home model creates or provides a good deal of freedom. So one thing that we've seen in the simple market like Cape Cod illustrates this historically. Restaurants in Cape Cod might close for Monday, they might take the Monday day off uh, as it were to close, restock and so forth. What we're seeing now is that the weekend is no longer a two-day weekend. It's a three or a four-day weekend. As people have been able to work from home, they've also been able to work from resort. Being able to go away for a longer stretch of time translates into a longer average travel Longer weekends, better business for hotels in these markets. And that is throughout the country in the leisure market where the recovery has been weaker has been in the urban centers. So markets like New York, markets like San Francisco, markets that have had, that have been more heavily regulated have been slower to recover and markets where there is a, I will call it a low rate of office occupancy. So those again would include, you know, the major urban markets on the East and West coast where office occupancy is running at about 35% of what it was pre-COVID, you, you don't get that that longer trip that maybe is a business trip on Wednesday and Thursday and turns into a leisure a leisure weekend in that market. So that part of the business is suffering and is, has been slow to return so far.
0: And are there certain creative steps that the lodging sector is taking to entice demand, either on the leisure or the business side?
1: I think in the leisure market, they were just very aggressively promoting the availability and the packages that they could offer. And they were being, you know, I would say promotional early on in the recovery period. That's not necessary now in the leisure market. What has the longer stay, the longer average stay, Tremendous demand. The way the hotel owners are, frankly, capitalizing on that is being able to push room rate to levels that, as we said, are above what they were in 2019. So, a full recovery in terms of their room rates. In a weaker market, you know, a hotel might insist that someone who wants to come and stay on a Saturday night, you know, might have to have a minimum two day or three day stay to maximize revenues, they're looking to push that minimum stay another day if they can. And so we're seeing a lot of initiatives like that to maximize the revenues that they can that they can get in the leisure markets to help to offset the weakness that they're experiencing in the urban markets. So in the urban markets, very aggressive promotions include aggressively promoting leisure weekend stays, you know, get away to a city for a long weekend, that kind of travel, which is uh You know, very common in Europe is becoming more common in the U.S. So in the U.S. cities that have historically had pretty good leisure demand, they're pushing that kind of uh, that kind of marketing or package in order to increase their market share of the leisure traveler business. One other point to bear in mind, you know, we talk about demand where all of my comments here really focused on the domestic consumer. But there's no doubt that the weakest segment of demand has been the international inward bound travel for various reasons i mean there were restrictions on travel from certain countries there were high levels of infection in some of these countries and there was probably i i think some element of concern you know if you were say in the uk you know you might want to be you might be a little more comfortable going to a you know a local resort in the uk and, and save that trip to new york for a time when people are more comfortable rather than sit on a plane for five or six hours and and then you know, stay in a city. So the demand that, that we've seen in the U.S. has been virtually entirely domestic. And to some extent, what the hotels ask themselves and what we also ask ourselves is that same kind of reluctance to travel internationally by the non-U.S. consumer probably is impacting the U.S. consumer as well. So the consumer who might otherwise have gone to London or Paris is maybe more likely to stay at home or stay in the U.S. for their vacation. So it's hard to know what the, the pluses and minuses of, of that equation are, but there's no doubt the international traveler has not come back yet.
0: We've heard a lot lately about labor issues. Does that still present a challenge to the industry?
1: I think it definitely does in a couple of respects. One is there's been a lot of pressure on wages, you know, throughout the labor force, but certainly at the call it the essential worker, frontline employee um, positions. You know, there had been pre-COVID, as you're probably aware, pressure in different markets to whether it's minimum wage regulation or living wage initiatives in certain markets, especially on the West Coast. You know, there's been upward pressure on um, uh, on compensation levels generally. Um, that's been um, exacerbated in the COVID recovery by issues that some of these workers face in child care. So to the extent that child care is not available or child care alternatives are simply too expensive, that's made it difficult for some of these workers who who are earning, let's call it below average household wages to afford to return to work and at the same time afford child care costs. So one of the reasons the administration has stressed child care subsidies in various legislation that's been proposed And that's been an issue that is a concern to the companies that manage these hotels. They've been able to get, I would say, the benefit of an understanding consumer who is maybe recognizing that service workers are not as plentiful as they would be in normal times. So there's been a a, a willingness to put up with maybe service that. Is maybe not as good as it would have been pre-COVID. Just fewer employees, and we hear from the hotel industry all the time that there are a number of unfilled positions. And then the final point I would make is that you know hotels had to reduce their variable costs substantially during COVID, and they they did so in part by putting in place a number of redundancies, where a number of the the hotel staff were simply laid off. And what they have thought through, or what they're still working through is to what extent they can adopt new technologies that will actually reduce the need for the full workforce that they had pre-COVID. So there is kind of necessity being the mother of invention that hotel companies are adapting or adopting more technology initiatives to reduce the necessary workforces that they would otherwise have to have. And the other point in this respect, some of the major brands that have brand standards, which would include How many employees are required for a 100-room or 200-room hotel having minimum levels of staffing required to support the brand contract have become a little more understanding and relaxing what they call brand standards so that hotel owners can operate with fewer than the typical pre-COVID complement of staff in a a way to be understanding and recognize the, the limitations and the challenges that the hotel companies have currently.
0: And finally, anything else that you're going to be paying attention to in the lodging sector in the months ahead?
1: Well, I think the key issue when we talk about the Delta variant and the impact it's going to have on travel in the coming months and quarters, the long lead time business that's important is the, is the large business group. The major convention demand. So called citywide conventions where you have just a very large number of people attending a convention coming to a market and needing a, a hotel room. Those kind of conventions drive Citywide demand and they fill up and they can fill up hotels as a result. When you have environments like that or an event like that, that leads to what they call rate compression, where the the remaining availability of vacancy in the hotels, owners of those hotels can really push those rates during periods of major citywide events. And obviously, the major conventions have been generally canceled, deferred during COVID. So, as businesses return to the office and as companies who sponsor conventions switch from having virtual to in-person conventions, what will be the attendance, the rate of attendance at those, at those conventions? Number one. Number two, will any of those major group events be canceled or deferred as a result of Delta, the Delta variant? To some extent, we've heard of a few of these already, cancellations. So far, they remain relatively small number. So we're just going to have to see um, as the Delta variant infections continue. Are we approaching peak? Or are we past peak? Or you know, do we know? And when will the market be comfortable enough to go ahead and accept in-person large in-person conventions to drive citywide business? That will be the probably the most important variable over the next 12 months in restoring overall Rev bar revenue per available room for urban hotels, restoring that that revenue line to pre COVID levels are even higher. That's one thing that we're watching. And the other thing we're watching is if the return to the office is some kind of modified hybrid let's say, three days a week, and we still have that three-day, four-day weekend kind of phenomenon. What does that do to business travel? Does business travel, is it a zero-sum game? Or do we find that businesses are going to travel just as much or maybe even more than pre-COVID because they, too, have a pent-up demand? They haven't been able to sit down face-to-face with their customers. They haven't been able to you know, tell them how important they are to their businesses other than doing it on a Zoom call. Um, and you know everybody who's in business will tell you being able to sit down with your customers makes a big difference. So that face-to-face meeting, the return of that face-to-face meeting, which is going to be showing up in weekday travel numbers, we really want to see that come back in order for these companies to be earning as much money as they were earning back in 2019.
0: Great. Jim, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Okay, Sarah. Thank you. All the best.
0: And to our listeners, for more news and research on the REIT industry, be sure to visit Mary's website, REIT.com.